Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 4. We've been, we traveled through a series that talked about our exchange life in Christ. And if that's a new phrase for you, the exchange life essentially talks about the exchange that took place when you came into a relationship with Christ, how he exchanged your old man, your old sin nature for new life in him and a new spirit and his Holy Spirit that he plants within us. And finding our life in Christ apart from the works of the law, but being led by the Spirit of God into the works that he has us to do um, is one of the great joys of walking with uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that led us into Galatians because Galatians was an assault essentially on grace by law. It was was an assault from legalism, assault from the law being added back to what Christ did when he set us free. And so this morning, as you're you're turning, we're going to be talking about origins. And when we think of origins, we essentially, we think about, well, where the earth came from. And I don't know if any of you have ever watched any of that on Science Channel. I can watch about about a minute and a half of that before I've got to change it because it's just such a farce, some of the things they come up with. And then we, when we talk about origins, we think about how life began and we get into the whole creation evolution thing, which even Charles Darwin in his own writings rejected evolution, but somebody else picked up on it because if we evolved out of soup, which I don't mean, I like soup, it's okay, but I didn't evolve out of it. Uh, if we evolved out of that, then we don't have any responsibility to what God's word said. And it's just an excuse to avoid that. And so I believe God created us the way his word says. And so when we talk about origins, we don't really think, we think about things like that, but we don't think about our own origin and where and who our, uh, where we come from or where we, who we're in. And he begins to address that because it's important that you understand where you come from if you are going to embrace what God has called us to. And so as we, uh, this morning, as we look at our origin, we're going to be instructed to pay attention, to understand who our mother is, and to recognize our response. And so we're going to begin in Galatians 4, and we're going to go through from verse 21 through verse 31. It says, tell me, you who want to be under the law... Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. This is one of the few times that we do find allegory in the Bible, and the Bible tells us it's an allegory. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. 
For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray and ask you to speak to us this morning. I pray that we will understand exactly who we are and what our origin is, and where we come from, and as where we come from leads to where we're going. And so we thank you for um, setting us free. We thank you for the freedom that's in Christ. And Father, I thank you that it's not freedom to sin, it's freedom to enjoy and to walk after you and align with your heart and to participate in this great work that you're doing here on the earth. Thank you for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we begin with the idea of paying attention. And we're, we're being instructed to pay attention. Paul begins by asking those who want to be under the law if they listen to it. Are you paying attention? Do you understand what the law is talking about? Do you understand what it means? In other words, we have a tendency to want to embrace a list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. We should do this and not do this. And that we cling to. And when we do, when we do the right thing, we feel good about ourselves. When we make a mistake or we sin, then we feel bad about ourselves. Does that cycle sound familiar to anybody? And the truth is, we have been set free from condemnation. Not from conviction, but from condemnation. Conviction leads us to Christ. Condemnation leads us to what was me, to how bad am I? How can I be accepted by God? And so he addresses them because they're embracing, the Judaizers were coming in, they were adding this stuff back that... Jesus Christ had set them free from. And so why would they want to go back? Why were they having this desire to go back? See, the law is harsh. The law has penalties and punishments and things that go with it. And it's really amazing to think about the idea of becoming a better Christian by improving our behavior by the law because it doesn't do that. Even if... We could keep every bit of it. It's still only self-righteousness. It's not the righteousness of Christ. It's insufficient. And I've heard that. It said, if you're going to live by the law, you've got to keep it all. Even if you kept every word of it, we would still fall short. Because it's unacceptable. It was never meant to make us righteous. It was meant to show us that we were unrighteous and in need of Christ. And so that was his point. So why would you go back? It's already done its work. We learned earlier that it, it came to us as a tutor. To teach a tutor, you go to a tutor when you don't understand or you need to learn something, you need to be taught something, and they help you to understand. We don't have that natural understanding. That's what the law did. It gives us, it tutors us in the idea that we need Christ. It's not meant to make us a better Christian. 
It's not meant to make us more holy. I'm going to, according to God's word, you right now are as holy as you can ever be. Isn't that cool? You're like, wow, I was hoping for better. (laughs) We're not talking about experientially. We're talking about actually. Now, when we rely on our flesh, we're going to commit, we're going to, we can sin because our flesh is unredeemed. We're going to do those things that don't align with who we actually are. And so we have to be careful that we don't do that because listen, if you're saved, if you're saved, if you put your faith in Christ, we've done this before. How many of your sins have been dealt with? All of them. What about the ones that you're going to do tomorrow? It's all done, right? So why do we worry about something that's already been handled? Why don't we worry about experiencing the relationship with Christ? Hearing His voice. Understanding what He wants us to do. Everything the Holy Spirit will lead you into will not violate the law. It won't violate it. It can't. Because He said He didn't come to do, do away with the law. But we're not under it as a tutor. We're in Christ now. And there's a difference. So those things are still true and they are part of holiness. But we don't become holy by what we do. We become holy by who we are. And then our behavior lines up lines up with who we are in Christ. That's what sanctification is all about. That's the journey of sanctification in Christ. And so he said, hey, pay attention. The bondwoman has a son according to the flesh. And so we see, now he begins to go back, he says this is an allegory, but the story is true. The allegory he's making is he's explaining the relationships. The story is true of Abraham and Hagar. See, God was he promised that Abraham, or Abram at the time, would have a son, a promised one, whom all the, all the world, the nations would be blessed. And so he watched his wife, um, get past childbearing years. I'm not going to say she was old, but she was past that time. And at 90 years old, he looks over and says, well, I don't think this is going to happen. And so he takes the matter into his own hand. He's going to help God complete God's task, God's work. And so he goes and takes Hagar, which was a regular practice in that day. It wasn't something unusual. And he goes and they have a child, Ishmael. She was a bondwoman. She was a slave for them. And it was not part of God's plan. And I have to think as I read this, how many times do we try to help God with his plan and get frustrated doing it? How many times do we think, well, I know this is what God wants, so I need to go do this instead of talking to him, instead of hearing him and marching as he says, march, going as far as he says, but no further, not quitting when he says, don't give up. His intent 
was to do the will of God. He said, well, I'm going to find a way. Because God had promised this. This is regular practice. I'm going to do it. But that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. And so he goes, he tried. (laughs) He should have waited on God. Then we see the free woman. She has a son according to the promise. That's Abraham and Sarah. Whose son was Isaac. Who was of the promise. Who are warring today. This is the same war we see in church today. Between grace and law. But what I've seen in church. Is that grace and law get married into grace law. You know you were under the law before. And now that you're saved. Let me give you this new law. Now you got to go do this, 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 this. And what I love is when a brand new, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, I just try to get out of their way and cheerlead for them. Because you know what? They pray out of, they're just so thankful. They just talk to God like they can. And they can. They read their Bible and say, hey, guess what I saw in the Bible? This is really cool. Look what this says right here. That's so cool. And it's the Holy Spirit opening God's word to them. Why would we ever want to steal that away? Why wouldn't we want to be a place where the Spirit of God is encouraged to speak and move in your heart and in mine? That should be our greatest joy. We don't need to, listen, whatever they need to do, the Holy Spirit will show them. Our heart needs to be rejoicing in in compassion. And (laughs) listen, we are not called into a ministry of fixing everybody else's sin. You ever met anybody like that? I'll tell you what. As soon as you get your own sin licked by your own hand, then you can work on me. The Holy Spirit's pretty good at it. He knows what he's doing. He convicts of sin and leads us into all truth. Isn't that what the word says? And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you how God really works. Here's, here's, this is really interesting. Read Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is way misquoted all the time. Because if you see sin in somebody else that you feel compelled, Matthew 7 demands that you check your own life first to make sure that's not a beam in your own eye. So then you can see clearly to help them remove the speck out of theirs. And it's the same sin. It's a beam and a speck. They're called hypocrites. Because it's so easy for me to sit there and say, well, well, Dwayne, you should stop doing this. And I'm there doing the same thing. It's easier for me to say that than for me to get it out of my own life. That's why it's a beam in my life and a speck in his. That's why you're called a hypocrite in that, in that passage. Hypocrite says one thing and does another, right? The whole passage says, judge not lest you be judged. For with the same judgment that you judge, shall be, you shall be judged by it. And that's why. Because you're a hypocrite. So whatever you pour out because you're doing the same thing, it's really upon you. That's what he's talking about. It's interesting when you actually read what it says instead of pulling a verse out of context. And so the free woman has Abram. Or I'm sorry, the free woman, she doesn't have Abram. She has Isaac. <laughs> Abram and Abram to become Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. And Sarah was God's plan through whom the promised child was to come. Was the one who, that's where God said, I'm going to work here. 
And so you have to trust God even when it doesn't appear like it's possible. Can God do the impossible? He can do what we call impossible because there's nothing that's impossible for him. He can turn the sky polka dotted if he wanted and that would be normal. Somebody asked me, I actually had a pastor ask me once, what color is the sky? And I said, it's whatever color God calls that color that's up there. I said, if he called that color green, then that's what green looks like. Because God's the definition. And so we're, we're demanded to pay attention. He says this is an allegory. He talks this allegorically speaking. He's speaking about the two covenants, the covenants of law and the covenant of grace. One proceeding from Mount Sinai. Now he talks about the Hagar and the child as proceeding from Mount Sinai. Now what's significant about that? Mount Sinai is where the law was given. And he refers back to them as that so we can understand that they are tied to the law versus grace. One proceeded from Mount Sinai, which was Hagar, who bears children who are to be slaves. So if we participate in the law, if we participate that as a, as a path forward to maturity, it will enslave us and not free us. It will be going back because it was never meant to produce life. Where is life found? Life is found only in Jesus Christ. Remember the two trees? The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where was life found? Was life found in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We all say no. You ready? We all say no, right? We all agree? No? No life found in that tree? Is that the evil tree? the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We think of it as the bad tree, right? Okay. So the knowledge of evil, we'd say there's no life there. So how would the knowledge of good not give us life? You know why? Because it causes us to rely upon ourselves instead of where life is found in Jesus Christ. There is no life when you rely on yourself. Only when we rely on Him and walk in Him. Amen. You're not going to experience it. You can keep looking. You're fr- I, listen, I've been frustrated. I've done it. I've done it. It's empty. And so if we embrace the law, it enslaves us contrary to our freedom in Christ. If you're embracing works, you must be perfect. And even that is not enough. And so pay attention to what you're following. Whatever you're following, is that where you want to go? Whatever you're following, is that where you really want to go? So he challenges us, he says, pay attention. Then he talks to us about who is our mother. Paul refers to Jerusalem, who is free as our mother. When we came to faith in Christ, we were born into freedom. Jesus Christ said, if I've set you free, you're free indeed. indeed. 
So if he sets us free, what did he set us free from? We think a lot of times it's just the penalties of our sin. We're just, we're, we no longer have to pay that because he paid it, so it's paid. And we sing songs like, well, we don't sing them. But we sing songs like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which doesn't line up with scripture. When Jesus saves you, it says he makes you a saint, a joint heir with Christ, a co-heir. A brand new creation. I'm not what I was. But the enemy would love for you to believe that. He would love for us to believe that this is just who I'm just going to sin. It's going to happen. I can't get away from it. That's not true. That's not true. That would be that would mean you're trapped. And if he sets you free, you can't be trapped and free at the same time. Because we have the ability to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Isn't that interesting? Spirit and flesh. Not old man, not sin nature, the spirit and the flesh. Because the old sin nature is gone. But pastor, why do I still desire to sin? Anybody here desire to sin other than me? Welcome. I know I'm not alone. (laughs) And the reason is we have a flesh that craves those things. Because it's unredeemed. Our flesh is breaking down every day. And I'll tell you this. You just never know when it's your day. You never know. We kind of expect that we're going to live forever. But that's not reality. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There is no promise of the world. So be careful. Don't just say, well, one day I'll get all that. You know, I'll, I'll answer the Lord and His calling. Why would you waste a single second? He then quotes Isaiah 54.1 that's talking about Sarah. See, Sarah was barren. Yet through her, God's promise of a seed would come. She was barren. Her children are more numerous than the desolate and the married. See, God's plans will not always make natural sense to us. But they're always fulfilled. They're always fulfilled. Always. We must embrace them. Embrace what he, even if it seems crazy to you. Have you ever had God tell you something and you go, well, you can't use me like that. I'm a nobody. We wouldn't say that. You don't have to raise your hand. But I've sat there and I thought, you know, I've sat where you're sitting when somebody else was up here. So, you know, that's for somebody else. Somebody who can talk good and somebody who can is and everybody just loves them and they're just amazing and they just naturally draw people listen it would sicken me if you were drawn here because of me I want you drawn here because Jesus Christ is present here with us because the Holy Spirit of God moves in your life and he speaks to your heart that's the thing that matters saying about me the cross was about me and you This is about him. 
We better keep him in his proper place. Because I want to be a part of exalting him, lifting him up, letting him receive the glory due his name. The saying about us getting the glory. This is about us out of gratitude and great joy serving because we're in love with him. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen. See, we just like Isaac are children of the promise. (laughs) There are those today that want to persecute us by adding the law back to us after we've been set free from it. Don't embrace legalism. Embrace Christ. We're to seek Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's no space for anything else. And if we don't seek Him with that, then what are we doing? And so what is our response supposed to be? In verses 30 through 31, we are, we are told that we're not called to embrace bondage. We're called to cast out the law and those who would try to put it on us again. We're to cast it out. We're to get rid of it. We're to, we're to send that away. We're to not hold on to that. Now the law has not been done away with. Christ fulfilled it. And in Christ we also fulfill it. And he leads us into those things. He's never going to lead me to murder my neighbor. He's never going to lead me to covetousness. He's never going to lead me into those things. But I don't do them because the law says it. I do them because I follow the spirit of God. And he won't lead me into that. That's the difference in who's leading you. And so working your way to be a better Christian doesn't work. It steals real life from you. Doesn't God's word say he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness? Doesn't it say that? How come we don't believe that? There's got to be more. There's got to be this. I've got to have this other thing. If God would only set me free from this thing that I'm trapped into, I can't get away from it. Well, doesn't Hebrews say that it talks about the sin that, which does easily beset us? We're always going to have this thing that we struggle with. I remember when I heard that, I was so relieved that I could continue to struggle with this sin. It's terrible, but it's, that's how I felt. The problem is, that's not what it means. It means that there's things out there that are so attractive to us. That we have this vulnerability, this flesh. That the opportunity is always there. But we choose him. We're to put that away from us. We're not children of the bond woman. We're children of the free woman. Live free, don't go back. Don't go back. How many of you have ever felt bad because you didn't have your quiet time? How many of you have ever felt bad because you didn't pray like you thought you should or you missed your prayer? Or you didn't hit the certain things on the prayer list that you always do? How many of you have ever felt bad about your Christian walk because you've sinned? You did something bad and you thought, how could God accept me or even love me? Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What you just described and everything I just described is condemnation. It's not from God or the Holy Spirit. It is from our flesh. It is from our enemy. It is from the world 
who tells you that you have to behave a certain way. And you know what I think the world is waiting to see? Christians who are honest. Because what's sold to the world is, if you're a Christian, your life is perfect. You don't ever make mistakes. You don't ever do all this. You don't ever have any problems ever again. And if you send 10 bucks, I'll send you this little packet of water and you'll get a $60,000 check in the mail. I saw it again the other day. I thought that's, that, that's got to sicken God. He'll answer for that. It's deception. The truth is, God, if you're in Christ, how can you be in Christ and be the terrible person you think you are? You can't. So one ain't true. Either you're not in Christ and you're lost, which is okay, but let's not leave it there. Or you are in Christ and somebody's lying to you and you're believing it. Right? Can't be both. If if we're honestly looking. See, the enemy will try to Make us feel so bad about ourselves that we don't realize the great gift that we have within us to share with the world. Either that or it'll make us try to feel so bad that we don't understand the great gift we've been given. Because we're called not sinners but ambassadors for Christ, right? It's funny how this all starts to come together. You start to see it all. We're so worried about what everybody's going to think because we live in a world that when you tell people they're sinner, they call you a hater and a bigot. And you know what? That's what the enemy has done to try to shut us down. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have had pause about sharing Christ because of that? Mission accomplished for the enemy. I'm going to say no. They can call me whatever they want because Jesus will set them free. And the truth is the Holy Spirit's working in them. And when you're fighting to not have ownership of this, your, your sin, you're going to do everything to get that person off your back. It used to be flight, now it's fight. We live in a different world today than, than was here 40 years ago or even 60 years ago. Used to be able to knock on a door and tell people they need to be in church, and they say, Yeah, I know. Now you knock on the door and tell them that, and they say, Why? I say, I'd never go over there. Bunch of hypocrites. I, when people tell, I love when people tell me that. I said, You ought to come. You fit right in. We are. Just come on. What's the problem? So our response is to put that out. We're not to embrace the legalism again. We're free. You know, it's really interesting to me that he says all this. And I'm going to give you a preview of next week. He says all this. And then we get to Galatians 5. Where he begins to lay it out, walking by the Spirit. And bearing one another's burdens. And how this is how this actually works. So it's really such a cool thing. So here's some life lessons for us from this passage. We need to take an honest look at the path we're on. If it leads where we want to, if it leads 
where we want to follow it? Does the path you're on lead where you want to go? Does it? It's a dangerous thing to only look at the moment and not the future. So we look at this one thing and we don't see where we're going, where we're headed because of that. We don't see where it leads, we just see the moment. We have to see the whole picture. That's how God sees things. And see, that is part of what wisdom is, is seeing life from God's perspective. Sometimes He only gives us the moment though. And then there's other times He gives us a bit of a picture. And so be careful. Check the path you're on. Two, understanding our relationship with the Lord is the key to unlocking our new life in Him. So, the question is, and this is an obstacle to that, how do you see God? We know some factual things about God, right? We have all the omnis. He's omnipresent, He's omnipowerful, He's not the Omni Hotel, He's just the Omni. He's Omni. He's got it all. Omnipotent, omnipresent. You know. He's all that. Well, He's loving and forgiving. Yep, we know those facts. But do we feel, do we understand that He feels like that toward us? See, we factually know things about God, but we don't understand that it's real toward us. He actually loved, I know it's so funny because this was one of the most controversial, most conversational comments I've had with y'all. When I asked, you remember when I asked, I said, does God love you? You know God loves you. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, you know God loves you. And then I said, do you realize that God likes you? That comment alone created more conversations. Because God has to love us, right? Just like our parents. They have to love us. But they don't have to like us. Maybe that's because we have people in our life that we have to love. We don't really like them sometimes. (laughs) I don't know. Ask Terry about that. That's my wife. But the truth is, God likes you too. He enjoys you. He created you. The Bible says He twirls over you. And so how do you see Him? What relationship to you do you believe He actually wants to have with you? What do you think He actually... Do you just think He wants to be your rescuer and that's it? Man, I, I, you know, I saved Tom. He's good now. Do you see that in Scripture? When he walks with them and he hides himself from them as he's explaining them all about who Christ was through the Scriptures to them. And then when he opens their eyes, he leaves. And we have none of it recorded Where are the scribes when you need them? (laughs) Right? Do you believe that he just wants to rescue us when he actually just, he left all of heaven and the glories of the throne 
Read in Isaiah 9, 6, how they were flying around crying, holy, holy, holy. And he laid all that down. He masks himself in humanity. Essentially, because he actually became human. So that he could relate to us. Do you really think that that's all he wants from you? I think he wants a genuine, authentic, everyday, moment by moment, conversation and joy of spending time together. Not, oh, I gotta read my Bible today because it's on my schedule. Oh, I gotta go to church this morning. I never felt that way about people I love. Oh, I gotta go spend time with so and so. If I really love them, I get to spend time with them. I get to go do this. I get to have conversation. I get to listen. I get to share. What kind of relationship do you think he wants with you? What relationship do you actually want with him? That may be a harder question. What do I really want with him? Do I really want him to have that intimacy where he can speak into any part of my life and be in control? Where we get kind of comfortable with how we've learned to protect ourselves. We don't want God to invade that and tear that down. Let me tell you something. It's scary. He's doing that in my life now. He did it this last night. But if my hope is in anything other than Him, then I'm I'm wrong. I'm misled. My hope should only be in Him. Knowing that He can provide whatever I need. Isn't that true? Don't we know that? Three. Realize a list of rules is appealing to us because it allows us to take control of our own journey. But we were never meant to control our own journey with the Lord. We were meant to surrender to the Lord. We're never meant to control our own. Well, if I know if I'm not supposed to do this, I just don't do that. I'm good with God. So now I'm in control. We like control, folks. And we were never meant to be in control. Control is a facade. If you think you're in control, you're not. Let's throw a health scare your way. Let's throw some financial problems your way. Let's throw some other things unexpected. We're not in control of anything. Are you willing to be vulnerable with him? That's our question. Are you willing to be vulnerable with him? And if not, why not? Could it be how you see him? Could it be how you want you want your relationship with him to be? Why not? See, where we come from affects life. I was reading this story, and this is not at all what this story was about. But I thought, how oh, that's so true. Because I had a friend. Matter of fact, um, I learned I actually learned this story from the guy that we bought this this property used to have cows on it. You know what? That story would be just fine. 
his name was Calvin. And I'd had this, I've been trying to, this is what I'm trying to do in my journey. You ever have those thoughts where you like, you know, the Lord says, or you have this fleeting thought where I should call somebody, I should check on them, I should see how they're doing. Does anybody have those? Or I wonder how so-and-so is. And then, and you put your hand down. Don't raise your hand. How many of you just sometimes will sweep that aside, right? We do, and we don't do it. I decided that that could be the Spirit of God speaking to me. And I want to find out what's up. So I called. I had a thought, a fleeting thought that I had to check on Calvin and Vera, the people we bought the property from. They had, they always wanted a church on the property that they had. We came along. They made us a great deal. They worked with us. They financed it for a period of time. They went a long way to help us to be here today. God had put that in their heart before I ever came along. See how the Holy Spirit works? And so I called them. And Vera answered, and I found out that Calvin had passed away about two weeks ago. My last exchange with Calvin was at uh, at uh, Spring Hill. And they were, I think, in their 70s or 80s. And we they were sitting up front, we were sitting in the back. And uh, he came over. And so we got talking, and I said, yeah, I see how it works here. They put the pretty people up front and the rest of us in the back. And he starts laughing. He said, it should have been the other way around. And we just laughed. And that was our last exchange that I ever had with him. And I found out he died. But the thing I learned from Calvin, and that, that the story I ran across, it didn't even dawn on me that I picked that up from him. There used to be cattle that would run here. Cattle, cattles. There used to be cattle that would run here. And Calvin would come along with his truck, and he'd start beeping the horn. And all the cattle would start to follow. Because they knew they were about to be fed. He had trained them to the, to the beep of his truck. So they would come and he would feed them. And I got thinking about that. That's kind of a country thing, isn't it? That's kind of, you don't see that much. Can you imagine him doing that in the city? People think he was crazy. They think he's beeping at them. They try to pull over and fight him. And the same action has a different thing depending on where you're from. Is different meanings. We have to understand where we're from, folks. We are from the free woman, not the bondage woman. You are no longer under bondage. You are free, actually free, to live in the joy of your salvation, to experience the heart of Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into relationships and to speak his word with great power and humility at the same time and only God can do that and so we need to be careful we need to be careful we need to stop stop trying to be something that we're not we need to be who we are and it's okay to embrace that and thank God for that. It's not arrogance to accept what God's done in your life. It becomes arrogant when we take credit for it of ourselves instead of giving Him credit for it. That's where we cross the line. And so let's embrace the beauty of you. 
and the beauty of Him in us. And let's embrace our calling as a, as a body of Christ. There are people around you that need you. There's people who aren't here this morning, obviously. We started, we started with three. We've grown exponentially since we started this morning. Or five. But there's people who aren't here. Call them, ask them where they are. Tell them you missed them. That means the world to people. Doesn't that mean something to you? To know you were missed? Oh, it's just Mark. That's the Hebrew word for I don't care. (laughs) The truth is we do care. People matter. You matter. You matter to me. When you're not here, I feel it. I know it. I feel it in my spirit. It's hard for me. Because I care. Because I love you all. And if that's true, I can't imagine the love that God has for us. I mean, think of the love and the loss that you feel when somebody's not there. And imagine how God feels for you. Let's draw near. Let's do it together. Let's hold each other joyfully accountable by sharing the stories. I heard some stories this morning about how God used somebody. It was so cool because we just prayed about it. That's the fun stuff. And you matter. You're going to be used that way. Don't get caught into all that legalism again. Walk in grace and enjoy what God has for you. I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.